Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, joins us here on the fan. Don, are you a, a fan of cashews over there? I am not a cashew guy at all. I like pecans. I like walnuts. I like just about any kind of nut, and I'm not a fan of cashew. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. Dane looked uh, he looked disappointed for a second, and then he said no audio, so he didn't hear any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that he was like, he's not a cashews guy? No, he didn't hear any of that. That's what was really going on, Don. Well, here's the thing. No you know, with that, you, you, somebody needs to c- uh, control the buttons because Dane is not exactly in tune to radio facilities. <laughs> no problem, man. Uh, Don, how much different was the result for IU on Saturday? compared to what you expected heading into that game? Well, I expected exactly what we saw, although I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I expected a win, but I thought Indiana could win the ball game. But I, I expected exactly the kind of environment that we got. Uh, it was special, as it always is at Mackey, when uh, Purdue fans see that Indiana on the chest of the guys coming into the arena, it, they go absolutely berserk, and they certainly did in this ball game. But the good news is Indiana quieted them in the second half with their performance. It was just a terrific performance by Indiana. Yeah, Jalen hood Shafino, 35 points, career high. What do you think of the nickname Jim Jackson gave him? Just hitting shots for his initials there. You like that, Don? Uh, it's not a bad one in this case. <laughs> I mean, Jalen was spectacular. He really was. And controlled the game, uh, did a tremendous job of handling the basketball. He's had a few issues this year and turning it over too many times. But in this game, he did such a great job in in virtually every aspect of it. He was good defensively. He obviously shot the ball lights out. And his, his point guard performance, getting the ball where it needed to go, was spectacular as well. There's there's no question he was the star of this ball game, but there were a lot of other people that contributed, at least the starting lineup-wise. The bench didn't do much. They only had two points off the bench and three rebounds. Uh, obviously, it was not the bench that factored into this ball game. It was all the starters. Hey, uh, Fish, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm here. Man. How are you? I'm doing great. What are you talking about, Indiana's bench? You remember the time when we, you were my golf partner and you forgot to show up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing, Dane. We didn't win. You didn't help us. <laughs> That's even worse. That'd be like the starters not showing up. <laughs> hey, Fish, I, I, I thought this, uh, aside from Jalen Huchifino, I mean, w- first of all, wouldn't wouldn't you say that this is one of the all-time great performances that an IU player's had at Purdue? Absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, I don't remember anybody that's kind of taken over the game like he did, especially in the first half at any point in a Purdue ball game and all the years that I've been doing it. That's not to say we haven't had some really good performances from people because to win it back, you've got to have good performances, mm-hmm. but you generally it's a team thing. And it was in this case too, except that this guy was heading above everybody else on the floor, at least in what he was able to produce. Right. And, uh, you know, for a freshman to do that at Mackey Arena in that environment, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it I mean, really having is. been a guy that won there twice like I did, um, I thought it was <laughs> – <laughs> Hey, Fish, one, one thing that I thought was underrated, is underrated, and people may not understand the, the average fan – the maturity of Trace Jackson Davis, and and let me speak to that. I thought that I think he fully recognized early that he wasn't going to be a big part of the game. And Brian and I talked about it earlier. Um, I think in years past, you know, Trace would maybe take himself out of the game completely with his energy, with mm-hmm. his defense when he's not scoring and. What I thought is he continued to follow the execute the defensive game plan to excellence um, in defending Zach Eady and and impacting shots at the rim, and then I thought he continued to do his job offensively by setting screens, rolling hard, forcing help, forcing Zach Eady to stay out of Jalen Hood Shafino's way so he could get deep into the paint to his sweet spot. I thought that was an underrated performance by Trace Jackson Davis and. He should get a ton of credit, um, you know, for the way he he did the, for the job he did. He and Race Thompson against Trace, uh, I'm sorry, Zach Eady, along with, um, you know, his job in in springing Jalen Huchfino open. 
I agree with you, Doc. Doc, I'm sorry. Dane, I didn't no. mean to call you Doc. No, you meant I to call me dork. You can call me Doc. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking I was thinking of Dad, Doc, it's because I did this show with him for like 15 or so. Well, for the record, it was. <laughs> a, lot, a lot smarter, a lot more handsome, and a lot better, looks a lot better wearing the number 11 jersey. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You're absolutely right about Trace. He, he was engaged in the whole ball game, and you're right. At previous times in his career at Indiana, he wasn't that guy all the time. But he was totally engaged in this game. And even in the second half, uh, he scored a few points early. Uh, then again, kind of took a backseat to everybody else as far as the scoring and that kind of aspect was concerned. And what I liked about it was when he came back to huddles during timeouts, that kind of thing, he was talking to every one of those guys on the floor, all of his teammates, got him in the huddle, telling him exactly what he was thinking, what they needed to do if they weren't doing it, those kinds of things. He was acting the leader that he has been all season long. And that's the biggest improvement in what we've seen out of Trace Jackson Davis because he can get disengaged or has in the past. Yeah gotten disengaged in ball games where if it's not him you know he's really not there but he is this year for the most part he has been a guy that understood his role completely and when things weren't going his way he was still getting other people involved and to that degree uh and this is the big thing you got to remember he is the second leading guy in this team in assists this year, and he's only behind Hood Shafino by about four assists. Hmm. He has been spectacular in that vein. He's Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers here on The Fan. You know, Don, you might have heard it. I've heard it a few times after that game. Some people saying that Matt Painter got outcoached. To me, it wasn't a strategy thing. I think it was a tip-your-cap thing where Hood Shafino just went ballistic. They weren't going to give Jackson Davis – you know, rolls to the hoop and easy baskets. They were going to make other guys earn it, and that's what IU did. So I don't think it was being outcoached. I think that you had Galloway hit shots, you had Cop hit shots, you had Hood Shafino right. go off. I don't think it was a strategy thing. What's your read on that type of talk? I agree 100% on that. I really do. I mean, look, Miller Cop is a guy that just doesn't take enough shots, number one. In this game, he took nine. He knocked down five, and three of them were three-pointers. They were all critical. And Trey Galloway, I, I've said this to other people many times this year, he needs to shoot more as well. He needs, in fact, I talk, every time I see him in a hallway, on a bus, on an airplane, I go, every, walk, I walk past him and I go, shoot, every <laughs> single time. Because the guy's hitting 50-some percent of his three-point shots. He's been doing it that way consistently all year. He just hasn't shot enough. In this ball game. He knocks down three of the four that he takes. He scores 13 points. He played a brilliant floor game along with Shafino. He had five assists and no turnovers in the contest. And his defense was a real key to why Indiana was able to keep Braden Smith and uh, uh, Fletcher, um, Fletcher Lawyer uh, under contains or in containment. So, obviously, I mean, this was a team win. But it was a starting five team win because the defense or the uh, other guys on the, on the bench didn't do much at all. You know, Don, I just think your velvet tones over here, and I heard your calls, numerous highlights with IU on Saturday. I feel like I would overdo it if I had a voice like that. I would just do it in the morning, like bacon for breakfast. And I can't do it like you. Do you ever overdo it in normal everyday life? Uh, only with my wife, and then I get I get tattooed. She just absolutely blows me up when I start doing that stuff. So I've not done it probably in years because I don't want to get blown up every day. No, I totally appreciate that. How much of a shot in the arm do you think this gives IU going forward? Last couple of games of the regular season, Big Ten tournament around the corner, going into Mackey, hostile environment, and playing the way they did. How much do you think this might propel them going forward? Well, it only propels them if they can keep it going with the intensity level that they played with on Saturday because they're about to face two teams that are hot right now and playing some of their best basketball in Iowa and Michigan this week to close out the regular season. And we know once they get into the Big Ten tournament where Indiana has always fared poorly, and that's with the exception of maybe one time in the final game and never have won this Big Ten tournament, this is a team that cannot let its guard down. And when they have this year, when they haven't played up to their potential or their focus and their uh, uh, their intensity level that they need to play with, they've gotten beaten. 
And they started that way against Michigan State last week, played terrific, built a nine-point lead, and then the last six, seven minutes of the first half, let it all slip away with their lack of focus on the three-point line and let Tyson Walker get off and just kills Indiana at that point and took a lead by halftime. In the second half, Indiana wasn't in the game. So they cannot let up at all. They've got to play like they did Saturday in every game the rest of the way. Yeah, and Fish, do you, when you talk about weak spots, um, let's talk about what Indiana needs to do moving forward uh, besides uh, – <clears throat> and and I guess I can answer the question too. But besides, you know, lack of focus, what do you think teams uh, have really done, and and will communicate with, you know, friends in the league moving forward? Uh, what do you think, Indiana? If there's a weak spot, um, X's and O's wise or personnel wise, where do you think it's at? Well, uh, that's a hard question to answer because there are weak spots. On every team, just you can you can find them on just about every team that you play against. But I, I think Indiana's biggest struggle this year has been the mental side of it, is just to be focused every time they walk out on the floor and play with that intensity level. You see it from Rutgers uh, defensively all the time. And look what happened to them yesterday. I mean, they were down 19, I believe it was, to Penn State in that contest and came back to win it. Uh, in the last 10 minutes of the ball game, just because they were so focused defensively mm-hmm. and offense is created from defense a lot of time. And, and that's what got them back in that ball game. And I think if Indiana would play with that kind of mentality, that defensive mentality all the time and not worry about the offense so much that they would be, uh, they would be a phenomenal team because their talent level is all you need. They've got enough talent on this basketball team to go a long, long way in, in the Big Ten or the NCAA tournament. It's that focus that you have to have and that intensity level that you have to have each and every time you walk out on the floor. And sometimes we just don't see that from this team. Yep. Fish, uh, obviously, I, see, I've said all along, Indiana's got national championship caliber talent. There's no – and athleticism. There's just no doubt in my mind. What other teams that have you seen either in the Big Ten or around the country have that ability to, to at least Final Four talent? Well, I don't think there's much question that Kansas has it. <laughs> and I think Arizona is another team that Indiana played this year that probably has has it. Uh, I haven't seen enough of, of all the other schools. I mean, you get glimpses of them and that kind of thing. Athletically, uh, you, you can talk about teams like Texas and, and – uh, who was oh Baylor? I mean, that's another team that's got all kinds of talent. Uh, it's just whether it all comes together at the right time. But in truth, uh, from a Big Ten perspective, the team that scares me the most is Maryland. I mean, these guys are wow. playing lights out basketball with their defense. Um, you could say what you want about Kevin Willard. This guy has really done a terrific, terrific job in his first season, and their guys have all bought into what they're selling. And right now, Doc or Dan, I don't Dork, know, I just call me Doc. Dork. Do- okay, Dork. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the truth of the matter is, right now they scare me because they've got that little guard that continues to play lights out in Young. Yep. And the good news for Indiana is maybe this week, hopefully this week, Xavier Johnson may come back. Whether it's against Iowa tomorrow night or it's against uh, Michigan on Sunday. In either one of those scenarios, Dane, I think right now Indiana's got to win those two ball games, but they're going to go up against some guys with those guards that can light you up. Yep. And we and without without the quickness at the guard spot, and I think Trey Galloway does a tremendous job on most everybody he guards, but the little guards have beaten Indiana this mm-hmm. year. Look what Boo Booey did to him. Look what the young kid did to him when they played Maryland. And that's the guy that you've got to be able to put somebody on that you can get stopped or at least slowed down. And without Xavier Johnson, Indiana hasn't had that guy. You know, Fish, I wanted to pick your brain about Xavier real fast, too, because I look at Indiana, it's almost like a treadmill, right? And they've got the treadmill on a high speed right now, and they're moving. And now we're trying to incorporate Xavier Johnson into that mix. How challenging do you think it's going to be for him to get up to speed for the other four guys on the court to sort of adapt and have the right chemistry, and then you're thinking about the right minutes and all how challenging is it going to be to incorporate him at the key stretch of the entire season? 
Well, it's not for me to say. It is for Mike Woodson to say. And that's that's his job as the head coach of this basketball team to figure that out. Because when you put a guy who's not played basketball for your team for two months now, uh, and he comes back, and you've really kind of got a core of guys that have been playing the most minutes and have done a really good job in that vein. You take a look at what Indiana's done since the what the fourth game of the Big Ten season, or a Big Ten restart of the season back in January. X hasn't been any part of that. And so now you've got to incorporate him somehow. He is definitely a guy that you have to have uh, that will be a factor for your basketball team if he gets back into the right scenario. And whether that's as a starter or coming off the bench, whatever it may be, but that's, again, up to the head coach to get that figured out because him coming back is going to disrupt things a little bit. It's not going to be the same when he's on the floor out there initially. It, it can turn into that eventually, but it's going to take a game or two, and that's why I think getting him back this week is so important if Indiana can get him back because you, if you're going to have a problem, you want it to be now, not in the Big Ten tournament or in the NCAA tournament. Fish, you're the man. We really appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, maybe have some cashews a little bit later today. I don't know. <laughs> Partner, I'll catch up with you here. Dane, I apologize. I Donald. Since I'm doing this thing with Doc all hey, Please, years, no explanation. <laughs> well, it, it's an explanation because it's I'm old. You can make, <laughs> make it up to me and show me the, the secret behind those, those hot calves and that unbelievable tan that you have year-round. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dane. You're welcome. Giving my partner. secrets away. That's my you're partner. Still, you're killing me. That's my. Hey, no, that's the truth. That's my golf partner. Yeah, when he shows up, right? Yeah, when he brings his game, well, right? Yeah. I I've been chastised for that one appearance so much over the years from Dane Fife. It's make me sick. A lot was put on that. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. We'll catch you, you soon, fish. Don. There he is, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. Let's welcome in J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com, also PA announcer for the Colts, joins us here on The Fan. J.J., I'm sure you heard the hot gossip slash reporting from Adam Schefter over there at ESPN, says that the Bears are fielding numerous calls for the number one overall pick. So I ask you today, use the Stankovitz crystal ball here. Which team do you think ultimately ends up with that number one overall pick? First of all, uh, great to talk to you again, Brian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys, been a, been you guys have a history, we go JJ? Way, we go way back. I was doing yeah. local radio in Portland. JJ used to come on the show. Why did you look at me like Portland, that? Portland, Oregon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dane Fife looked at me, up. JJ. He looked at me like he smelled something foul, like Portland. <laughs> 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 back in the days when I covered Notre Dame, I would That's go right. on your show. It was fun. Anyway, you asked me a legitimate question. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think sitting here right now, if I'm if I'm putting a crystal ball in it, I'm still going to say it's the Bears mm. uh, making that first overall pick. I just it's so early in the process. I don't know if the Colts or the Texans or the Panthers or the, the Falcons, whoever, view this class as one where you are going to give up significant draft capital to get the guy you think is the best in the class. And the, the point there is, what's the difference between the number one and number two quarterback in this, in this class? Is it a, a significant gap to where you're willing to part with a future first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick? Or is that gap small enough where you say – you know what, if we wind up with the second-best guy or even the third-best guy on our board, that is better than giving up a lot of assets to go get the number one guy. Those are the questions that I have. Um, I think we'll probably have a clearer picture coming out of this weekend and then when pro days start in March. But for right now, I think I'm, I'm going to sit with chalk and say the Bears make that pick. It makes me think, J.J., the what-if scenarios for the Colts. Because I'm thinking if there is a team that moves up to number one that isn't the Colts, well, they're probably going to move up to number two. Why would the Texans help them out as a divisional rival? So you're probably looking at the number three quarterback prospect at that stage. And I like where your head is at where you're thinking, hey, how much difference is there between the top guy, the second guy, the third guy? 
in that scenario, do you think, and Chris Ballard and company, they know this, do you think that urges them to move up to number one more, thinking of the what-if scenarios of if it's another team moving to number one who's not us, we're probably looking at the number three QB here. Who says the Texans are taking a quarterback at number two in that scenario? Well, they might not, but I don't know that they would trade down and want to face the quarterback that the Colts draft at number two for 10 years if it's the real deal. What if they think Jalen Carter can terrorize that quarterback for the next 10 years? I mean, He was ready for your question. He's been listening. (laughs) JJ, you've been listening. We're playing the what-if game here. I mean, is it a slam dunk that the Texans take a quarterback? No. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean... especially if what I mean we don't know how other teams are going to stack their boards right what if Houston stacks their board and say they they have Bryce Young is the the far and away best quarterback in this year's draft and another team that's not the Colts trades up to number two or to number one excuse me and drafts Bryce Young and the Texans are sitting there being like okay well we think Jalen Carter or Will Anderson's a Hall of Fame player Mm -hmm. and we don't really like any of these other quarterbacks let's kick it down the road for another year and keep building up our roster or, or here's another fun scenario. What if the Texans pass on a quarterback at number two, and then with that 12th overall pick, they trade back into the top five to go get another quarterback, to, to go get their quarterback? There are so many different ways that this could go that are not necessarily, well, if the Colts sit at four, they're not going to get one of the two best quarterbacks in this year's draft. That There are so many possibilities, and right now, because it's so early, we can talk about all of them, and they're all legitimate. <laughs> JJ, Dane Fife here. How you doing? Good to meet you. All those things. Yep. All right. Here's I'm going to put you on the spot here. You, you got to give us an answer, okay? You ready? Okay. The Colts draft selection that will make JJ Stankovitz the most happy is who? Uh, you're putting me on the spot, Dane, because I I knew he wouldn't do it. I knew he wouldn't do it. Oh, he's yeah, going to do I, it. I'm I'm great at this. I got to say, I'm great at this. But the answer that the answer that I give is like I, I don't know who that guy would be yet because whatever answer I give you, I want to know who exactly. would make you the happiest at number. Let's we'll just say number four. The guy who would make me the happiest is the guy, and this is such oh, a he's uh, you're sick, you're the unbelievable. Me the happiest is the guy who makes Shane Steichen the happiest. Oh my goodness, that's not a bad answer. Oh my gosh. Him? I didn't ask about Shane Steichen. I asked about J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com. Come on. Jimmy? It's February 27th. The NFL draft will begin two months from today. I, I don't like. I don't even know how much Bryce Young weighs right now. I, I haven't seen Anthony, Anthony Richardson throw a football. Ugh. I mean, you know, Will Levis has been – he was hurt like his entire senior year. Can, you know, is C.J. Stroud going to show that, yeah, I, you know, I can really take off and run? Um, All right. Hey, let me let me look. The, the, the number four selection that will make Dane Fife the happiest for the Colts is C.J. Stroud from the Ohio State University. You put him at the See, top this, of your list. Oh, this, yeah, this yeah. Is, I'm Big Ten through and through. My, <laughs> this is kind of what I was getting at, too, with that, you know, talking about the scenarios for the Colts and maybe why the Bears also stay at one is there's not going into this combine. There's not a Trevor Lawrence. There's not a Joe Burrow. There's not an Andrew Luck. Fair. And because of that, I think that lends itself to a lot of uncertainty going into this year's NFL draft. And it lends itself to a lot of scenarios where the Colts stay at four and can get their guy. They right. can get the guy they have conviction on. Or, you know, there's a scenario where the Colts say, yeah, we do need to go up because after seeing these guys at the Combine and, and at their pro days, oh, man, we think, you know, we think Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis. Like, literally, I've been doing this Mock Draft Monday series where I round up oh, yeah. experts for the NFL draft. Yep. And literally every single one of those quarterbacks has been mocked to the Colts at number one overall or number four overall. <laughs> Some of them number two overall. So there, there are so many scenarios that can play out here. And I know I'm giving you guys a terrible radio answer, and I apologize profusely. <laughs> take for a stand. But I'm not ready to take a stand. You're asking me it's to too take soon. a stand with information right too now. Too soon. Too soon. I, I like you. that you're sticking to your guns by not taking a stand. Especially after JJ. I've called out your manhood, and, and I have. Yeah. 
And I'd like to think that I get some of that manhood back by, you know, sticking to my guns and being like, eh, it's too early to take a stand right now. Yeah, we should, yeah. yeah. play the fence, <laughs> stick to your guns. <laughs> it's J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com, PA announcer for the Colts, joining us here on The Fan. How much do you think the price tag would be for the Colts to move from number four to number one? What are we talking about when you're weighing that decision and how much it would cost you in draft capital? If you talk to my friends in Chicago, they think it would be the number the, the number four overall pick, the number 35 overall pick, the number 79 overall pick, next year's first-round pick, Michael Pittman Jr. and DeForest Buckner. It's not going to be that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they're, you know, Bears fans are uh, they're, they're dreaming a little bit. I, I, think, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who floated, I believe it was number four, number 79, and next year's number one, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're, you're probably going to have to give up a, a day two pick in this year's draft, whether that's 79 or 35. And then, you know, you're probably looking at next year's first because of the value of the player you're going to go get. The Bears know that this isn't the Cincinnati Bengals trading up to you know, number one to draft Kijana Carter. This is trading up to number one to draft a franchise quarterback. So they can ask for maybe a little bit more than – some other trades up to number one we've seen in NFL history. But, um, yeah, I think you're probably looking at next year's first plus a day two pick. But if, the Bear, if, if, if it turns out that the Bears don't have as much leverage as they thought, then maybe the price isn't that high. Maybe you're not in a bidding war with the Texans and the Panthers and the Falcons or the Commanders or whoever, and you're just you're like, you know what? It, it's a, it's our pick or it's you stay at one. Decide what you want. Here's our offer. Maybe, maybe that's how it plays out. Yeah, and that's the thing going back to the Schefter report today where he says the Bears are taking numerous calls from numerous teams. This is the time of the year for a lot of bold-faced lies. You know? How much of this do you think is true? Do you think it's a bit of a smokescreen? Do you think it's embellished a bit? Or uh, do you believe it? Do you think there are numerous teams calling the Bears about the number one overall pick. And if they are, how much that could drive the price tag up? Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the thing. Calling the Bears about the first pick is one thing. Yep. Entertaining serious conversations that have gone well down the road into draft compensation is a completely different other thing. Totally. I mean, I am sure there have been a number of teams that have called the Bears about the number one overall pick. I am sure there have been a number of teams that have called the Bears about trading for Justin Fields. Does that mean either of those things are going to happen? Probably not. One of them might. None of them might. And there are just this this point of the calendar, the NFL calendar, these like two weeks before uh, free agency starts, it is just rumor season. And I cannot wait to see all the rumors that come out uh, next week when you start hearing the, you know, the trickles out, the, the, the articles of overheard at the combine, which was, I was talking to an agent, and we were both seven Bud Lights deep at Prime at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I heard this, you know, that, that you're going to he, hear a lot of those reports in the next couple of weeks. Who's the most obscure player that you've learned about while, we, while we're getting closer and closer to the draft here? So uh, one guy I'm, I'm interested to talk to uh, is a wide receiver from South Alabama who is not on a lot of people's radar. But he's on the radar of a pretty important person uh, here in the history of the Indianapolis Colts. Jalen Wayne, he is Reggie Wayne's nephew, is going to be at the NFL Combine testing this week. Uh, I'm excited to go. I'm going to go try to talk to him during one of the media availability sessions and you know, talk to him about growing up with Reggie Wayne as his uncle and what he's learned from him and uh, you know, just kind of pick his brain on, on having a Hall of Fame caliber, should-be Hall of Fame wide receiver as your uncle when you are trying to make it in the NFL as a wide receiver. I like that. JJ, um, I made the suggestion to the group here. Um, maybe the Colts should just bag this quarterback draft, go out and get them some offensive linemen and uh, trade up tra- or trade or just find a free agent like my Lions did. Uh, is that a uh, buy or sell from you? Uh, right now, I, I'm not selling it. Thank you. Um, just because, just because, Dane. I mean, again, we're we're two months out, and maybe 
you know, the Colts stack their board and they're like, you know, we don't think any of these guys is the right guy. I mean, how many times has Chris Ballard said it's about getting it right? It's not about just getting a guy. It's about getting that pick right. And this early in the process, you know, maybe there's a, a scenario in which the Colts stack their draft board and the highest quarterback on it is eighth, and they say, yeah, you know, we really don't want to reach for one of these guys. That That is a possibility. It's far more likely that the Colts draft a quarterback. But, again, I, I, the, the whole point, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying the Colts are going to trade out a four. They're not going to take a quarterback. I'm saying right now at this point in the calendar, you have to entertain all these possibilities. If, you, if, if the guys back in the, the Colts draft room right now are pigeonholed into this is the only way we can do this, that's how you reach for a guy, and that's often how you miss on a guy. I think that you, know, you, you have to entertain all those possibilities. You have to flesh them all out and then project how they would play out. Again, it is much more likely that the Colts will draft a quarterback, but it is not at this point on February 27th no one can say that is 100% what's going to happen. JJ, you think that the Colts are in a position where they can be honest with themselves? Meaning this, let's just say Chris Ballard and Steichen, they do their quarterback evaluations and they say, you know what, if we're being brutally honest with ourselves, we don't see a guy that's as close to can't miss as you can get, where we feel comfortable trading all of this compensation to move up to number one to get the guy. So we're going to stay here at number four overall. If the board goes a certain way, you know what? We're not going to reach because you know as well as I do, if Chris Ballard goes out and gets a veteran quarterback and it's basically a bridge guy, it's not like the franchise dude going forward, I mean, he's out of chances here. Can he be honest with himself not going with the rookie quarterback if he knows that's his best chance of keeping his gig going forward? Well, I think his best chance of keeping his gig going forward is winning. Uh, ah. And if if he looks at this this draft class and says, you know what, none of these uh, we aren't going to win with any of these quarterbacks, then he's not going to draft one to appease the fan base. Jimmy he's shaking his head over there. Jimmy agrees. What he, what he thinks is going to be right for the Indianapolis Colts, and if if he believes that I'm going to do this and I'm going to get fired. Well, it sounds like in this scenario that he also believes if he does the other thing, he would get fired. So, I mean, you're kind of, you know, in this scenario, which I don't think is, is one that really exists here, it's just he's going to do what is best for this franchise and what is going to get this franchise back to the level of winning that they need to be at for him to keep his job. But he's also not – the thing with Chris is he's not – He's not someone who is obsessed with keeping his job. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my job. He is obsessed with doing whatever it takes for the Indianapolis Colts to win football games. Hmm. And I think that, you know, talking about him being honest and this team being honest, I think last year you really have to be honest with yourself. After you go 4-12-1 and you, you fall short of expectations in a way that we have not seen around this franchise in a really long time, you really need to be honest with yourself and honest with how you evaluate players and, and how you stack your draft board and, you know, what your coaching styles are. Those are all discussions that have happened in this building and are, are going to be incredibly important come draft day when you're making decisions that are going to impact the direction of this franchise, not just for the next five years, but maybe for the next 10 years if you get it right. Yeah, they beat my Lions in a scrimmage, which I wasn't happy about, The did the Colts. So, J.J., are there some veterans out there, Aaron Rodgers included, some veteran QBs out there that the, you think would be good fits for the Indianapolis Colts? I, I don't see if, – if the Colts go that route – and by the way, I mean, whatever if, – if the Colts are going to take a rookie quarterback – in, in this year's draft, they still might go out and sign a veteran free agent. Right. Um, but I don't think you're seeing the Colts playing in that deep end of the of the pool of Aaron Rodgers, you know, even in that Derek Carr world. I think, you know, you might see the veteran bridge-type quarterback come in, uh, which I think you might need anyway. I mean, look at, look at how many teams have – signed a veteran quarterback and then gone and drafted one in the top five over the last couple of years. That's a pretty common occurrence for teams to do that, where 
you say, all right, at the very least, if we go sign player X and he can start for a, a week, or a, not a week, a year for us, um, or even a couple of weeks, half the year, while we get our rookie quarterback acclimated to our offense, up to speed of the NFL, learn, you know, teaching him how to read NFL coverages and diagnose things, that's going to benefit the overall development of this quarterback. Or it also informs you to say, you know, if we sign this guy, yeah, we're going to have a functional quarterback who can lead a functional NFL offense for a year, and then we might be able to kick this quarterback thing down the road if we don't like any of these guys this year. So it, it gives you options. Going and signing a veteran gives you options or just having that, that veteran who you can have start and be an operationally functional quarterback uh, gives you a lot of options. So if the Colts in March go and they, they sign that guy or they keep one of the veterans on their roster, um, I, I'm not going to be surprised by that, and I don't think that would be a sign the Colts are not going to take a quarterback. But, again, it gives you those options. Yeah, and I feel like we have that going on here. In the, You're not in here, J.J., but in this office right now, we have Jimmy, who would be Joe Montana, for the 49ers, and I would probably be the young understudy and Steve Young, and then we have Bill Walsh. Who would I be, like Tim Rattay? You're Bill Walsh. I'm Bill Walsh. Okay, yeah. I like but that. But that's kind of what we have going. But you could you could see that scenario uh, with the Colts this year, perhaps? Yeah. Um, sorry, I just I couldn't move on of thinking Brian was yeah. going to say he's I, Jim Duncan Miller. Um, <laughs> there you go, yes. I do want to ask you, though, real quick about my Detroit Lions. Um, there's no Barry Sanders in the draft. Um They've lost T.J. Hawkinson in the, you know, the, the, he's no longer with them. Do you see them get going after a tight end or their defense is horrendous? Um, I'm just wondering uh, what you think about my Lions real quick. I don't know if there's any team that's better positioned to add talent this year than the Detroit Lions. Ooh. Now you're talking my language. Go on. The, the 16th <laughs> overall pick coming off a season where they ended with a lot of momentum. They don't need to get a quarterback, but they can if they want. Um, it's a, oh boy. I, what makes J.J. Stankovitz happy? The Detroit Lions' <laughs> first pick. I got. I got. I got to tell you, Dane. Let's see if he's got are, it. There aren't many fan bases that Suck. have more hope, more deserved hope than the, <laughs> than the Lions right now, which is like a weird thing to say because it's still the Lions. Except Brad Holmes, really sharp general manager. Dan Campbell, really sharp head coach. They keep both of their coordinators, who are on a lot of people's head coaching short list, right, and Ben right. Johnson and Aaron Glenn. And that offense, like, it was it was one of the best offenses in the NFL last year. And by the way, you're just going to add Jamison Williams back to it. That's right. like Sam having three first-round picks this year. Hmm. So, man, I, I love what they're doing up there in Detroit. And, yeah, their defense needs some more talent, but they got a really sharp coordinator in Aaron Glenn. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson is looking like a star. The you know the the kid they drafted out of Illinois, the safety is a really good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there's a lot of things, good things going on in Detroit. Um, I, I would be shocked if they go and they win the NFC North next year. Yep. What, what position do they take? I'm sorry, I just <laughs> I, I, what position? What position oh, do they take with their first if pick? If you're sitting at six and things go the way you want, and you could add. A kid like uh, like Tyree Wilson, the defensive Man. end from Texas Tech, and you pair him with Aiden Hutchinson yeah. for the next wow. You just years. you seem so sure on that. Gosh, I wish you were. I wish you knew what the Colts should do. I I, I feel it's a, a lot a lot easier when you don't have a need at quarterback. No, to, I understand. I'm 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 needling you. JJ, I got to say, man, I think it's bad form for Dane to ask you about his team that has nothing to do with this area. No. Uh, how about my Irish, though? How about Notre Dame this year? How many wins for the Irish? Oh, boy. I, Brian, my, my time covering Notre Dame ended in 2016. There's, like, no one left. From, well, because now that Tommy Reese is gone, like I don't know anyone there anymore. Translation, he could uh, care less about the Notre Dame <laughs> fighting Irish football team. Translation, how about eight wins? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Oh, dagger. Hoping better he, than eight. He came at you. No. JJ, good stuff, man. Thanks for rolling with us, and uh, we'll catch you soon, man. Thank Always you, JJ. Enjoy it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. Yep, see for you. sure. JJ Stankovitz, Colts.com. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife here on The Fan. 
Are you in charge of music this entire hour here, Dane? Yeah, my one request. Jimmy, Jimmy allows me. Jimmy, Jimmy affords me one request. One per round. Uh huh. And I had to go with that Eric Church, Mister Misunderstood, because it, because I think it fits our next guest well. Does <laughs> Mike DeCorsi, Mister Very uh, Misunderstood, Misunderstood over there. He is a tough sob. He's a tough man. Let's he find don't out. take no bull. Let's find out from him. Uh, Mike DeCorsi joins us here from Sporting News and Big Ten Network. Uh, good afternoon, Mike. Would you say that you are misunderstood? Would that be a good uh, walk-up song for you? I didn't think that, but I guess, I mean, that that, that was not the way uh, I viewed myself. But uh, I guess I, maybe that's how I'm perceived by others. Well, Mike, you're, you're easy on the eyes. You know, <laughs> You're not a towering Zach Eady type in stature. I think that maybe you give off the vibe that you're, uh, you know, a, a, a kind, gentle. I think you're tough. You're rugged. You could play on my. You could play on my team any day, Mike. I'd go to I war with Mr. That. Mike DeCourcy. He doesn't do put up with anything, that. and that's what I respect about him. He doesn't. He doesn't take crap. Well, Wouldn't you say? You. I would say so. Absolutely. Yeah, I would double down on that for sure. You know, the IU Hoosiers didn't take any crap on Saturday. Mike, <laughs> what did you think about that performance? Were you surprised about that outcome? Uh, yeah, in the in the nature that it that it uh, that it developed, yeah, because uh, Trace, you would expect, although it's difficult for Trace to have a great game in a game against Zach. Uh, he did play mm-hmm. pretty well the first time around, but it's really it's difficult because Zach just consumed so much of the space where Trace Jackson Davis wants to play. And, and so it, it is difficult for him to have a great game. Uh, and so I thought that if, if they were going to have a terrific game, that probably that they would need to have some, some more of Trace and then maybe contributions around. I, I didn't see, although I, I have great respect for Jalen Huchifino, I, I was blown away by the fact that he went for 35. And I've been talking for uh, what five, six, seven weeks now about how if they're going to play Miller Cop for 30 minutes, and I think he's justifying that in his overall play. If you have a uh, an asset like that on the floor, a guy who's shooting 40 plus 40, well, I haven't checked right. it in, in a while, but he's 40, 40 to 45 from yep. three point range. Get him some shots because yeah. because he, he's he's more likely to make them than most guys, and and so that was big on Saturday. He was really helpful. And then, of course, uh, Trey Galloway was fantastic. I mean, just changing the game every chance he got. It, it was a really impressive performance from their core group. They didn't get a ton from outside that group, but it, that what they got was so much that it didn't matter that they didn't get much from five, six, seven, eight, nine. Mike, moving forward, you've still got Purdue a number one seed in your Fox College Hoop bracket forecast. What makes them a number one seat? Well, it starts with the fact that at this point, they still have the third best record against quad one opponents of any team, of all the teams in the country. They are still nine and four against quad one opposition. That's equivalent to Alabama and inferior only to to, uh, Kansas, which is a, a remarkable 15 and five. That's it. I mean, you look at the others that are contenders for that. And UCLA is uh, six and four, seven and four, depending on what uh, Oregon did lately. Uh, right. Texas is ten and seven. Baylor is ten and eight. So there's a clear separator there. And like the way people want to look at college basketball in particular, perhaps more than any other sport, mm-hmm. is it's like what did you do yesterday? Right. And it is not nearly as much of that sort of sport as people think it is. Right. It, I went through. In the late 2000s, I, I noticed that the last 10 games factor of the NCAA tournament selection process, maybe it was mid-2000s, and I noticed that it didn't seem like that all the teams that came in hot were going a long way and all the teams that did badly uh, down the stretch were, were getting uh, beaten right away. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing statistical analysis year after year. And over a period of years – it became apparent <laughs> that that it was there was almost no correlation. Wow, like that's if interesting. Were, if you were ten and zero in your final ten games, and ten and zero in the second ten games, mm-hmm. and ten and zero in the first ten games, you were probably pretty good. 
But the teams that had those nice stretch runs, right. it, you look at Iowa a year ago. They come in, they storm through the Big Ten tournament. You think they're going away, and they're great on offense. And, and not only did they not advance on the basis of their offense, but they played a team that didn't have a great attack, and they didn't lose because they couldn't stop them. They they, they lost because they couldn't score. So mm-hmm. it's like people think that, that that matters, but what they don't really factor in is that you play those last 10 games almost exclusively against the members of your conference, and nobody knows you better than the members of your conference. And sometimes to particular teams that have certain weaknesses that can be exploited, that's debilitating. Exactly. And so you get into the NCAA tournament, what's the first thing they tell you? You can't play anybody from your conference for a while. Right. So that makes a difference. Wow. Hey, Mike, did Saturday night impact your thinking at all in terms of how far you expect IU and Purdue to advance come tournament time? Well, I've been saying for a while, as as Purdue's problems developed, I've said that they have to start making shots again. If they, They are not going, I don't care if Zach scores 50, they're not going deep into the NCAA tournament if they're not making three point shots. And Fletcher Lawyer in particular has had a real problem making threes over the last six or seven weeks. It's been a while. Maybe maybe I'm exaggerating on that a little bit, not by much. Uh, we're at least going back to mid-January. Uh, and so that's if, if he's going to play as much as he does, and again, he justifies that in a lot of ways, they need more out of him as a three-point shooter. They need Braden Smith to remain a threat. And I, they, that the three and four positions, they play Ethan Morton for defense, it didn't really work on Saturday because he was the one who was assigned first to guard Jalen, and it didn't work at all. And he had a couple of wide-open threes, and he's made some this year. But he had a couple wide-open ones that could have been difference makers early in the game, and he missed both of those. They put Brandon Newman in, and he made some shots. I, I think at a, a certain point in time, they're going to have to think about – how many, you know, how many more minutes they can get Brandon Newman? Uh, if, if he's the only one that's going to go out and make shots, they got to figure out where to put him to try to get to get some more minutes out of him. Mike, you've looked around the country. I know you've probably watched every team on the planet right now. I mean, sure, your weekends are just filled with nothing but, um, you know, antique shopping and uh, <laughs> you know, bizarre shopping, but. Um, the teams around the country that you've seen in the leagues, I know that I heard you talking about the Big 12, um, saw something you wrote about the ACC. Um, what are the what what teams, perhaps some dark horses or some teams around the country uh, that what are what are some teams that you can see easily uh, or envision making the final four, if not being national championship contenders? Well, I, if you're talking about dark horse final four teams, I mean, can Duke ever be a dark horse? Uh, but their <laughs> resume isn't great, and they've played poorly at times. But there's a lot of talent there. Yep. I mean uh, that. So if that all in the way that Carolina all coalesced last year, I could see Duke doing that this year. Certainly, uh, it, I, I think Indiana counts as a dark horse Final Four contender. They, you, you've got two guys who. Uh, one guy who's a top 15, top 20 NBA pick, and the other guy who's one of the three best players in college basketball. Yeah. That's a lot to start with. I agree. And their depth, I, what they're, what they are, are not getting out of their depth. And and I'm somebody that I, I I am sort of been on this for a while. Like I don't care what your bench scoring is. Like right. that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. If I want to win the bench scoring contest, I don't start Zach Eady and then I put him in five minutes in. And oh no, <laughs> I win the you know like who cares. Yeah, that's right. It, it, I agree. But you but you have to get minutes out of your bench, and they have to be productive minutes. They could be assists. It could be defense. It right. could be facilitating. But you have to get minutes, and that's the, I still wonder about that a little bit with Indiana. Can you put guys out there and get productive mm-hmm. minutes? That's a, that's a question for them. But, boy, when you've got a point guard like Jalen uh, and a big guy – uh, like Trace and, and solid defense and Trey Galloway doing so many different things and a guy who can shoot it uh, like Miller Cop and it, uh, that you know if they can bring back Xavier Johnson and maybe get some of those minutes I'm right. talking about yeah exactly um, that, they I could see them getting there 
Yep. Uh, I, I I think that that's you know those Arkansas is a team that if you want to talk about dark horses I, I don't know how deep into the field they're going to wind up because mm-hmm. their predictive metrics are really good but there's nothing else there I mean right. they haven't beaten many good teams they have you know they've lost to one or two bad ones um, so I don't know even know where they're going to end up being seated but uh, there's there's a lot of ability there and Nick Smith back from a long term injury. Uh, he's a he's a lottery pick. He's a top ten pick. Yeah, uh, and and he's had moments uh, where he played. He's played really well in the last week or so. And uh, they went down to Alabama, and of course Alabama's in this situation that they are now. And and I don't. Most of them don't seem to be very comfortable with the, with the situation. Doesn't seem to have phased Brandon Miller from his uh, production. Uh, but it, it, that was a game in which it was at Alabama, and I didn't think Arkansas played great, and they were still right there. So that gives me a little belief that Arkansas might be dangerous when we get to the tournament. Mike DeCorsi joining us here on The Fan. Mike, championship week's right around the corner. Are you more interested on the impact on seeding or these automatic bids and all the, the craziness as far as that goes? Yeah, actually, all of it. Uh, selection week, the uh, uh, Championship week, whatever you want to call it, is my favorite week. I, I, I love the tournament uh, with great passion, but I also I, I really love the chase for bids and teams, you know, playing in those uh, one bid leagues, playing for championships and knowing what's at stake, and uh, and then you know getting into a gym like on a quarterfinal day, uh, whether it's in the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, where every single team that walks into the gym is a tournament contender and maybe even in. So you know the games are are high level. Uh, you go you go to the to the Big Twelve quarters this year. You're going to see that. You go to the Big Ten quarters this year. You're going to see that. Uh, that's a, I mean that's an unbelievable day uh, if you can get that. So I, I, I those are my favorite times. So I, I really that 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 week uh, once I get done all my uh, pre all all the, the stories that I have do because uh, we do our All America team and Player of the Year and and coach of the year all the same week in advance of championship week. Uh, once I get all that done, I can breathe a little bit and enjoy all that hoops. For sure, Mike. Well, hey, man, great stuff today. Mm. Enjoy talking to you. Awesome, Mike. Yeah. Mr. Oh. Misunderstood. Mr. Misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a pleasure. It's great to talk to you guys. Cool stuff, man. There he is, Mike DeCorsi. Thank you, Mike. Sporting News, Big Ten Network.